Grace to you all and peace from God the Father Almighty, from our Lord and our Savior from sin, Jesus Christ. Amen. A few years ago in catechism class, we were talking about the topic of forgiveness. And I think, if I recall correctly, one of the passages we talked about was the New Testament, the gospel lesson we heard earlier where Jesus talks about forgiving your brother from your heart. And as usually happens in catechism class, curious questions come up. Questions that make you stop and think, that's a good question. The question on this case was, Pastor, if I'm supposed to forgive my brother from the heart, how come mom and dad are telling me I have to forgive my brother after they've told my brother he has to tell me he's sorry for what he's done. That doesn't seem very genuine. It's a good question. It's a good question because we all should be eager to forgive even as we have been forgiven. But all too often, like that catechism student, we're hesitant to forgive because she wasn't quite convinced that her brother was really sorry for what he had done. She seemed to think he was only sorry because mom or dad told him to be sorry. But this reveals a greater problem that we all struggle with. Genuine, gracious forgiveness is not natural to us. By nature, our hearts are cold and selfish. We're quick to ask for forgiveness, but so often we're slow to give it. So many times we seek revenge for the ways we've been wronged. That gracious forgiveness, forgiveness that isn't earned, forgiveness that isn't deserved, that Christ-motivated forgiveness truly is a fruit of faith. It is something the Holy Spirit works in our hearts through his gospel. This morning as we talk about forgiveness, we're going to go to the last chapter of the book of Genesis, Genesis 50. But before we look at the words of our text, we need to back up 40 years from the events of Genesis 50. 40 years earlier, Jacob is, uh, excuse me, Joseph is living at the home of his father Jacob. He is 17 years old. He is a little precocious a little naive, and maybe even a little obnoxious. He's dad's favorite boy. His ten older brothers, who seem to do all the hard work while Jacob stays at home with dad, despise him. They despise him because of how he's treated by dad. Dad gets him a special coat to almost make him look like royalty. Furthermore, Joseph has these dreams and in these dreams, he sees his brothers bowing down to him, his older brothers who were doing all the hard work with dad's livestock in the field. Joseph's brothers are not amused. And it's not just that they were annoyed with their little brother. They hated him. They hated him so much that they were planning different ways to kill him. But they don't. Rather than killing him, they throw him into a pit in the ground, and then they sell him 
to some slave traders headed for Egypt. And in hopes of covering their tracks, they staged things such that their father Jacob thought a wild animal had killed his beloved son. That was 40 years earlier, 17-year-old Joseph living at home and sold into slavery. At the time of our text, God has made Joseph vice pharaoh of Egypt, the second most powerful man in the great Egyptian empire. At the time of our text, Father Jacob has just died, and his brothers are worried about what Joseph is going to do to him. If these were your brothers, and you were in Joseph's sandals, what would you do? As we listen to what happened in Genesis 50, I want you to listen for ways in which Joseph was not in the place of God, but in a way that he was. And consider for yourselves being in the place of God when it comes to forgiveness, trusting his plan, and comforting the sorrow, sorrowful sinner. We turn now to the word of God in Genesis 50, verses 15 through 21. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph, saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So far, God's holy word. Even so, we pray for his blessing. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. So what do you think of these brothers of Joseph? By the time of our text, Joseph is likely about 56 years old. His brothers are much older, probably into their 70s. And yet they seem like some pretty wretched individuals. First of all, they've sold their brother as a slave. And then for 20 years, they emotionally tortured their father by telling him that Joseph was dead. And it wasn't as though the brothers simply forgot about what they had done to Joseph. In Genesis 42, 20 years after they sold Joseph, listen to their conscience speaking. In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. One can imagine them laying on their beds at night and hearing the voice of Joseph echo in their mind, 
please let me go, let me go. I won't tell dad. They speak of the distress of his soul and Joseph begging them. You can imagine Joseph going off with those slave traders being dragged away, kicking and screaming, pleading for help. And those cold-hearted brothers did nothing. Now that dad is dead, the brothers come to Joseph asking for forgiveness. What do you think of their repentance? If you ask me, it seems like these brothers are more worried about what Joseph will do to them rather than that repentant attitude that's sorry about what they did to Joseph. Rather than humbly confessing their sins and acknowledging their guilt, as far as we can tell, they make up a story about Jacob instructing the sons to tell Joseph to forgive them. We have no record in all of Scripture of Jacob saying anything like that. It almost sounds like a little child who's coming and saying, but Dad said... What do you think about the repentance of these wretched brothers? That's our problem, right? We see a problem with our reaction to repentance. When someone repents to us about their sins... Our first reaction is what? Are you serious? Are you really serious about your repentance? Do you realize how much you've hurt me? Our fleshly reaction is to try to judge the genuineness of their repentance. But using the words of Joseph, are we in the place of God? Can we look in the hearts of these individuals who have sinned against us, who are sorry for what they've done, and determine beyond the shadow of a doubt whether or not they are genuine? So we look at these brothers and wonder whether they were genuinely sorry for their sins. Perhaps they really were. After all, they refer to the evil that they have done. And perhaps these brothers, like us, know how hard it is to forgive someone, think the only way Joseph is possibly going to forgive us is if we plead it on behalf of our deceased father. We are not in the place of God. We cannot know what is going on in a person's heart. We can certainly look for fruits of repentance or things that are done that show repentance outward evidence of that sorrow over sins, but sometimes that fruit can be deceiving, can't it? After all, have you ever yelled at your kids and realized it was wrong and repented to your kids and repented to God for losing your temper and yelling at your children? Did you yell at your children again later on? Those fruits of repentance can be deceiving. So it is with people around us. We are not in the place of God to judge the genuineness of repentance. Jesus simply says, if your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. 
Even if he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times returns to you and says, I repent, forgive him. Rather than judging the genuineness of their repentance, maybe we should imitate the father of the prodigal son who saw his son returning and even before his son got a word out of his mouth, the father was out the door running to his son and embracing him. Or maybe we should seek to be like the angels in heaven, those holy, heavenly beings that rejoice over one sinner that repents. It may be that we are a bit skeptical of these brothers, but look at Joseph's reaction. As his brothers talk to him about the evil they've done, asking for forgiveness, what's Joseph's reaction? He weeps. He weeps because his brothers think that he is still holding a grudge against them. He weeps because he loves them. He weeps because he's forgiven them a long time ago. As we see loving Joseph weep, listen very carefully to his reply. Verses 19 and 20 of our text. Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about what many people, that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Well, Joseph recognizes his brothers did not have good intentions for him when they sold him into slavery. He also recognizes the bigger picture, the great plan God had, not just for Joseph, but for Joseph's family and for all of Egypt. God used Joseph to save the lives of many people, people that would have otherwise starved during that great seven-year famine, including the family of Jacob and those wicked sons. But there's more. God's plan for good in saving many lives during that famine also directly impacts you. Three of the individuals whose lives were spared because of Joseph being in Egypt, being the vice pharaoh, should be very important to you. One was named Judah, one was named Tamar, and one was named Perez. You know those names? Maybe Judah. Judah and Tamar had a son named Perez. And 2,000 years after the events of our text, a descendant of Judah, Tamar, and Perez would be born to Mary in Bethlehem. That child of Mary, that descendant of Judah, Tamar, and Perez, would himself endure a great deal of wickedness. Much like Joseph, for the price of a slave, 30 pieces of silver, this son of Judah would be sold into the hands of his enemies. Lies would be told about him by his own people, who also were sons of Jacob. They too would want to kill this favorite son. They would hand him over to the government, who would nail him to a cross for crimes he never committed. Much like Joseph in the house of Potiphar, having lies told about him, landed Joseph in jail. But as was the case with Joseph, what man meant for evil, God meant it for good. 
and used that evil event 2,000 years ago to save the lives of many. Jesus Christ, born of Mary, of the tribe of Judah, son of Jacob, endured that hostility, that wickedness, that evil against you himself to rescue you from the pit you should have been thrown in for your sins. He used the death of his holy, beloved, royal son to reconcile you to himself. And as Isaiah says, it is by his wounds that you are healed. Remember what Jacob made his favorite son? That special coat? Almost looked like royalty? God the Father has robed you in the royal robes of his son's righteousness, cleansing you from your sins and making you holy and clean in his sight. So remember Joseph and Jesus when people do evil, wicked things to you. Confidently call to mind that memory passage you learned as a child, Romans 8, 28. We know That for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. We're not in the place of God. We don't know the plans he has for us. He promises that he makes all things work together for good. He used the wicked plans of Joseph's brothers to save many lives. He used the wicked plans of Judas and the Jews to save our souls. Even if wicked plans of the ungodly result in your death, God will accomplish the greatest good for you in your eternal deliverance. Don't doubt his eternal plans for you. Finally, let's look at the closing words of our text and consider how we are in the place of God sometimes. Joseph says, Do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to him, to them. Joseph had already been caring for his family for some 17 years. For his father, his brothers, his brother's children, and probably by this time his brother's grandchildren. Joseph assures them of his forgiveness by showing those fruits of forgiveness. Comforting them, speaking kindly to them. And assuring them he'll provide for them. While we're not in the place of God to judge the genuineness of repentance or doubt his plans for us, the redeemed children of God can be in his place in imitating Joseph here. Remember how God is merciful, kind, and forgiving to you. Remember his gospel, how he speaks so kindly to you, those words of love promises of eternal life. In the place of God, you and I can speak kindly to those who have sinned against us. If they're hypocritical, if they're not genuinely repentant, that's not on us. God, the judge of all, will expose that on the last day. Paul tells us in Romans 12, Beloved, Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. We're not in the place of God to repay them for their evil. 
Rather, as God has comforted you with his forgiveness of your sins and spoken kindly to you through his gospel, let us echo Joseph, who says, Fear not, as we comfort them and speak kindly to them. Let's go back to that catechism student's question. If forgiveness is supposed to be genuine and from the heart, why do my parents tell me I have to forgive my brother? Right? Why do they have to do that? Better question, why does God have to tell us? We've seen his forgiveness. We've seen his great love on the cross. Why would God ever need to say to us and remind us to be forgiving to one another? We need to hear these things because of our sinful hearts. <clears throat> God, forgive us for being slow to forgive. Let us praise him for his forgiveness to us because of his beloved son. Having been forgiven, may God help us to kindly comfort those who have sinned against us. Amen.